Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Travel. Now, for those of you who are feeling dizzy, <laughs> nauseous, may have a slight nosebleed, we are actually doing a show a week after doing a previous show. So we are putting the week into This Week in Travel for the first time, probably in a couple of years. So don't be alarmed. This was planned. And that laugh you can hear in the background is Mr. Chris Christensen. How are you doing, Chris? I'm I'm doing very well. I wouldn't want to give people false expectations that it's going to happen every week going forward, but I we agree. Wanted, we wanted to get in one more show before Gary and I head off to Israel. Yeah, expect that you're not going to hear from us for at least a month. <laughs> when you do, it'll be some sort of special episode <laughs> that we did live. That sounds about also right. Also with us as usual, Jen Leo. How are you doing, Jen? Good morning, everybody. Doing great. And as you told us before we started recording, you're not dressed up. <laughs> no, since we've started doing these Skype interviews, I re- I realized that I you know I don't have to brush my hair. I'm in my jammies. Well, thanks for thanks for caring. That's <laughs> the little touches that are always so nice. And with us as a guest on the show, this is kind of our pre-Patrick St. Patrick's Day uh, show that we kind of do every year uh, for the first time. Jody Halstead. She is the woman behind the blog, Ireland Family Vacations. Did I get that right? You did. You did. Thank you. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here. And, and uh, you know, you usually have Corey Taratuda on, and those are some, some big and inspiring shoes to fill. So I hope I do well. And if I was uh, told correctly, you are calling us from Iowa. I am. I'm in the, I'm the heartland sorry today. I'm to hear that. Yeah. My, my condolences. Well, I used to live uh, in Minnesota, so, you know. Oh, that's better. <laughs> uh, let's start on the news this week. I think the big news story this week uh, was a vote taken by the European Union. It was a non-binding vote to revoke visa-free entry to the United States. And the story behind this is that the United States offers visa-free travel to most of the countries in the European Union. Um, but there are a few countries where they don't, uh, Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, Croatia, and Cyprus, which just so happen to be the last five countries that were admitted to the European Union. And the EU says they want all countries in the European Union to be treated the same, uh, but the U.S. does their visa waiver program on a country-by-country basis. So my question to all of you is, one— do you think the European Union is in the right in doing this? And two, are they going to actually do this? In terms of are they in the right, absolutely. Uh, in the sense that the European Union is a country. <laughs> it's, it is a country and it's not a country. And we in the U.S. have a little trouble understanding how much it is. But, of course, the whole Brexit vote, part of the big issue there was all of the – how much they have given up their sovereignty to the European Union. And so it'll be a little like us saying, you know, having a country have a visa waiver program for the U.S., but not for Iowa and Minnesota. But it's not, though, because Iowa and Minnesota do not issue passports. That is true. And the member states issue passports. And quite frankly, the the EU really is not a country. It's in terms of international law, it's more closer to the – well, it's close to the, the, the U.S. Cross. under the Articles of Confederation is what it is. Right. But it, it, they're in, if, you know, if they want to 
to make sure that everyone is treated the same in terms of international diplomacy, what they do is they revoke the passport of every person in the EU and they issue brand new European passports that are all the same. And well, until they do that, you this know, is, you know, this we is have the thing. Embassies. It's the European Union is and isn't a country. And depending on how you look at it, it's both are true. And it certainly doesn't look like a country to us from our definition of a country. But remember, the U.S. was just like this when we were under the Articles of Confederation. We had different money. We would have di- had different passports. And we considered ourselves a country. But Did you, did you guys mention that this is a tit-for-tat response? Yeah. I, I mean, the reason they're doing this is because their law states that mm-hmm. if a country doesn't give uh, visa waivers to all EU countries that they would rescind in a, in a reciprocal manner, uh, allowing visa f- uh, free travel to the country that doesn't do it. And I should also note, it's not just the United States, Canada, Australia, Japan, and a whole bunch of other companies have had the same policy because as the EU keeps adding member states, it requires the rest of the, you know, the rest of the world is under no obligation to change you know, their visa policies based on decisions that the EU makes. Right. I think if the EU were to allow Syria into the EU tomorrow, it would be ridiculous to assume that the rest of the world is going to say, okay, Syrian, you know, passports can enter without visas. Now, so Gary, the, your second Gary, question, okay, sorry, go ahead, Jen. Well, the article that I'm, I'm reading from uh, Travel Mall on March 3rd, says it's part of a tit-for-tat response over a long-running dispute as the U.S. government has failed to give visa-free access to five member states of the EU, Poland, Romania, Croatia, Bulgaria, and Cyprus. And so that we don't scare everybody thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to get a visa for my trip to Europe. That is what they're saying. They Mm -hmm, are saying you will have to get a visa for England, well, but England won't be in the EU soon. For for France, for Germany, for Italy, yes, for for okay. Ireland, that is absolutely the, what they're saying. But the article that I'm reading says that they're still having a meeting on June 15th yep. to hopefully mm-hmm. resolve the impasse. So if you have travel before then, you don't have to freak out about it, right? Uh, is that right? For before sure. June 15th. Correct. As of right now, nothing has changed. Right. They are simply. This is a shot across the bow. This is basically that, saying, mm-hmm. we're going to do this unless you change. Okay. Well, I just wanted well, to make that and, clear so people going immediately don't get... Well, and then also, if you look further down the article, it says that we passed the deadline for this reciprocal visa waiver back in April of 2016. I mean, it's been an ongoing thing, and they haven't, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't really enforced enforced their own rule. And I think it's because a lot of the countries... You know, they're not willing to give up the U.S. tourism dollars that that they have with this um, reciprocity. I mean, that's a lot of money they would be possibly giving up if they instituted visas from the U.S. to really popular tourism destinations. But the problem is that they're in violation of their own law right now. Mm-hmm. And so... And, and they are getting – and one of the things that we have to understand is the European Union started as a federation for trading uh, coal, right? And and slowly grew into, you know, uh, common money in many places to common border agreements to all of these things. It, it, it is in the process of getting more centralized. That's why we're seeing this pushback in, you know – 
obviously in in Brexit, but in a lot of other places, this pushback against, well, we didn't sign up for this, that it's becoming a single country and we're not sure we want it to. And so they're at this impasse here where they either need to get rid of the law or they need to enforce the law. And more and more, as they get to those places, they are choosing to enforce the law because it's a country that is getting more countrified. I mean, it's getting more like a single country and not less. Although, you know, we'll see. That is under pressure right now. I should also add, Cyprus and Poland joined the EU in 2004. So this has been going on for right. well over a decade. Right. And a lot of people have been saying, you know, oh, Trump, this this particular thing is not a Trump issue. This is the entire length of the Obama administration. This was the U.S. policy and most of the Bush administration. So it's not something brand new. This has been the U.S. policy for a long time. And, yeah, the, the thing is, you know, we don't recognize the EU as being a sovereign state. Nobody does because they don't claim sovereignty. Uh, we recognize the member states as being sovereign states. Right. We have ambassadors to Poland and, and, and whatnot. And we do have an ambassador to the EU, but it's, it's a very different thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, if, if they want to have everyone treated equally in the eyes of everyone else, then I think they need to stop being the Articles of Confederation, as you mentioned. And uh, they need to become – and, and the thing is they will, union, yeah. they're not going to do that. No. Because no. <laughs> no one in the – none of the, the people in the UA really want to do that. Um, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, but it's certainly leaning against that right now, right? Whenever there, there has been a vote, uh, a referendum in any EU country mm-hmm. about anything that would give up sovereignty, it's always failed. It failed in Denmark when they wanted to join the euro. It failed in uh, any uh, lots of places. Um, I think people enjoy some aspects of the EU in terms of well easily going to other countries and and you know trade and stuff like that. But I understand what you're saying is those... true, but I don't think that's that you've ignored all the other countries that did join the euro. For instance, that there's definitely some yeah, places and some of the smaller countries, especially those countries that joined the 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 euro, didn't vote on it. They didn't have yeah. That's true. That's true. The countries that had referendums didn't join. And I'm just saying, I think people, you know, they want to be Dutch and German, etc. cetera. Uh, and I, I think especially with the problems with Greece, you know, defaulting and other things. Right. There's a lot of cracks that are being seen in the, the European Union right now. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think they'll necessarily go the way of Britain uh, in leaving, but it doesn't mean that they're going to jump headlong into, you know, Becoming the United States of Europe. No, I, it looked like that might happen five, ten years ago. It was definitely heading in that direction, and that was their stated intention. We should be clear on that too. But yeah, it, right now, I'd say I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on that. Um, and will this ever be enforced? Um, it's hard to picture that it would be enforced long term because of the economic value of it. But it, I don't know what they're going to do. As a side issue. Uh, with the UK supposedly going to leave the European Union, the Brexit thing, uh, that is going to cause some issues at the Irish border. Uh, because right now you can go between the UK and Ireland, right. uh, Northern Ireland, no problem whatsoever. So, Jody, do you think that's going to cause problems on the island of Ireland, or do you think they'll come to some sort of treaty or agreement that allow the continued flow of traffic? Well, there have actually been some protests along the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland where uh, people who are 
um, against Brexit have set up traffic stops and actually, you know, slowed the process to show people, you know, (laughs) this is what's going to happen, you know, and, and basically causing widespread panic. Now, Northern Ireland used to be a place that you just didn't go due to the troubles. And that's only really changed, I'd say, in the last 10 to 15 years where people have really started looking to Northern Ireland as a destination. And they certainly don't want to give that up. I think it's a lot of hype for not knowing what's coming yet. And I I think that's, I mean, it's a tool. It's a tool like any other um, to sway public opinion. Uh, An interesting article I read a couple days ago that uh, Sinn Féin has actually been getting more support in Northern Ireland recently because of the Brexit issue. That there are more people, uh, you know, traditionally the divisions in Northern Ireland were between Catholic and Protestant. But since the Good Friday Accord, you know, that's kind of de-escalated. And now there are some Protestants that are actually supporting Sinn Féin because by joining Ireland, it would be a way for them to stay in the EU. Right. And it's kind of really changed the political situation in Northern Ireland. The political situation in Northern Ireland has been interesting for quite a while as you see the religious tensions falling and people coming together on different aspects. And I I don't see that changing anytime soon as they find more and more common ground beyond religion. Well, Gary, I'm going to include a link in the show notes that's a Wikipedia article of all of the referendums that have happened in the EU, and you are wrong, sir. Um, For instance— It's not not the—it's referendums (laughs) that talk about— Seeding sovereignty. The Not European Constitution would be my would be my counterpoint. Actually, approving a European Constitution, which is what you would need to get more uh, favor. That's running fifty percent, though. There's only four countries that have voted on it. Uh, Spain and Luxembourg approved it. Uh, not uh, Spain wildly favor so. And this was ten years ago. Again, remember, I said ten years ago they were moving in that direction. France and Netherlands voted against it at that same time period. So there have I should been say, some. France and Netherlands are kind of more core to the EU than Absolutely. Luxembourg. Well, that is that is that is definitely true. <laughs> yes, but Luxembourg um, is a very beautiful country. All right, let's move on. Anyone, unless anyone else has anything to add to this subject, uh, I'm sure we're going to be dealing with this again on a later show as this comes back up for a vote or uh, does or, or goes does not away happen. quietly. Uh, my vote is goes away quietly is more likely. Uh, Neth story, travel and leisure, and I've, I've seen this uh, reported in a couple of other places, that the city of Barcelona is now trying to reduce tourism. They feel that they have too many tourists and that it's starting to uh, really hurt the city, that there are too many places being converted into Airbnb uh, rentals. It's pushing up the price of rent. It's hurting traffic. It's, it's making the city more congested. And they're not the first European city to have this complaint. Uh, There's been a lot of complaints in Venice, whereas the population in Venice over the last 20 years, the native population, the people actually living there, I think has dropped in half because it's become so expensive to live there. People are converting uh, homes to rental units. I think the population in Venice was over 100,000. Now it's like close to 50,000 simply for this reason. So... Uh, what do you think of, of Barcelona kind of taking these steps? And, and do you think you're going to see more of this in the future? 
Well, the interesting thing with Barcelona is both Barcelona and Venice are on very, very popular cruise routes. There's so many cruises that start in Barcelona, and I think it's it's related to that industry as well. Uh, this is actually kind of the I, I, I'm working on a book uh, that's kind of deals with this subject. Uh, Skift has talked about it. This concept of over tourism. Sure. That there's Iceland is another good example. Uh, tourism in Iceland has just exploded and it, it gets, you know, I think there's 10 times the number of tourists visiting Iceland every year as there are people who live in Iceland now. And it seems to affect just certain areas, uh, major cities, mm-hmm. uh, what you said, Chris, uh, places that are on cruise routes that just get swamped with tourism. Uh, but then there are other places that really don't get much at all. And, you know, one of the things I, I'm kind of dealing with the book is, you know, here are other really great places that for whatever reason just never made it into the popular consciousness and everybody has it in their mind. Oh, we got to go to, you know, Oh, Venice and Venice is great, you know, no doubt, but there's other great places in Italy as well that just, you know, are kind of under touristed. Well, and the, the one thing that's the kind of the double whammy with the cruise thing, and we've seen this in the U S too. We saw it in, uh, in South Carolina, for instance, in, Jen's favorite Charleston, South Carolina, has had real issues about the cruise port there and the pollution that was coming from it. And the other thing is you don't get the hotel beds and you don't get the restaurant uh, visits if you have people who are on the cruise ship. It doesn't always give you – it gives you the tourists and it doesn't always give you the economic benefit. You want to hear a side side note to that? Uh, for, For the listeners who haven't been regulars on the show, Chris is talking about Charleston. We actually have a friend over there who li- who lives there, has lived there for years, and is considering leaving, like moving out because of the tourism and how the town has a little bit just, just expanded too much for their taste. I found that to be fascinating. It, it is a really interesting double-edged sword. I know there are locations in Ireland that are dealing with that uh, down along the Ring of Kerry, especially the Skelligs have become insanely popular due to Star Wars. And being a UNESCO heritage site and having only a handful of boats that can dock there, as well as only being able to travel out in certain weather has really caused um, a lot of tourism down there and people who maybe don't understand how it works, but it's also you know, bringing prices up, it's crowding places, and they're really struggling with how to keep an authentic Irish experience when the amount of tourism that's coming in kind of overwhelms the the infrastructure. Sure. I think that's a big a big issue that you find in a lot of places that are, are incredibly popular. Well, and we see that in the U.S. national parks, that the traffic is very, very... Uh, inconsistently uh, spread out. So, for instance, South Rim of the Grand Canyon, uh, the valley floor in Yosemite, you know, just a lot of people there where even in the same park sometimes, just a little while, a little ways away, you'll get less tourism. And then there are certainly parks that are just amazing where they just don't get traffic. They're just not that well-known. Yeah, I was actually, I used to use the Skelligs as a good example of a place you should go because nobody goes there. But <laughs> thanks, Luke Skywalker. That ain't going to happen anymore. Right. Uh, 
Those Let's tours go. book out a year in advance. Oh, is it that much now? Because when I went yeah. there, it was before Star Wars came out, and I, you know, I just uh, booked a ticket the night before. I got a place. I forget the name of the little town where it's like Marylebone or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was no problem. I, mean, I didn't realize it was up to a year now. Well, the interesting thing there, yeah, as there you are said, some is that are booked out. As you said, Jody, as they're booking year in it out, they're not necessarily getting there though, because you could book a year in advance. No, that doesn't mean you're going to have the weather. No, complete. I've tried to get out to the Skelligs. I want to say five times, and it has never worked out because <laughs> of weather. Even though you know it's just that little, you know, it's not that far. It's it's not a really long boat ride, but you have to have good weather for that. It's it's really some treacherous water out there. Yeah, it was raining when I went. It was not not a hard rain, but uh, we landed and the the steps that go up are really steep and really slick yes. in the rain. And there's no guardrails or anything, so it's not the safest. It's a dangerous thing place. No, it's a but dangerous yeah, place. If you're force sensitive or a force wielder, you should have no problem with that. So, <laughs> um, let's go on to uh, one more story. I don't think we've talked about this before. Uh, American Airlines has introduced basic economy fare, which is basically um, their own little section of Spirit Airline on the plane. <laughs> It's the best way to put it. Um, nice. It, it's stripped down. I don't even think you get points if you book these tickets. Or some some airlines do, some don't. Um, well, all the airlines, I, remember, or most of the airlines, have gone to points based on dollars you spend. Uh, oh, hang on. Sorry. <sighs> oh, Chris, the video loaded. No, that was, a, that was one of the other windows. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know I had a video. Uh, so because the more, most of the airlines, including American, have gone to points based on the dollars you spend, I don't remember whether they still do points, and I'll check. But even if they do, you'd obviously get less points. And it's not quite the same as Spirit because you don't get less leg room, right? You get the same leg room, but you get what you get a middle seat, don't you? No, but you are chained to an oar. <laughs> <laughs> and that is basically helping provide some propulsion for the plane. That's how it works. My, my, my beef with this is I don't have a problem with it in theory. My problem is that when you search for flights, it usually comes up with the cheapest ticket first. And many of the restrictions on these with the terms of like um, refundability or even your ability to change the ticket, um, you, you can't do it a lot of times. And sometimes for a little bit of more money, you would pay that. But you don't see that right away. And especially if you're flying for work or someone else is booking the ticket for you, they're just going to automatically get whatever the cheapest, not realizing that they're getting this, you know, dollar store, back of the seat, <laughs> you know, back of the plane kind of ticket uh, that are going to have these restrictions with it. Well, I think a lot of people are going to end up there even when they they didn't really intend to. Uh, I, I want to know. I want to know how much cheaper they're going to be because if you okay, so here's what it says: you're not going to get a seat assignment until check-in. You can't use overhead bin space, and right. you will be the last group to board. Th- that just sounds like um, middle seat hell, right? Sounds so like spear how, there. <laughs> so how much cheaper is it going to be? But you do still get non-alcoholic beverages, a snack. And in cabin entertainment. 
Yes, but the entertainment is live entertainment. <laughs> and it comes from the other passengers. Someone has to get up and sing and dance, and everyone has to take their turn. It's gonna be it's gonna be fights over the overhead space. Well, and oh, the, overhead, the overhead space they... is really the big deal, is the fact that you just need to know when you book this ticket that you either are packing really, really light or, you know, you're using that $25 checked bag fee. Um, when you're searching for flights, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I know I worked there, but one of the reasons why we still use the TripAdvisor flights where you can say, we're each going to have one suitcase, and then it will factor that into the cost Right, you really yes. want to know how much is it really going to cost me, not how much is the flight. You know, that's one of the reasons why the Department of Transportation requires them to put in all the fees and the and the taxes. Because I don't want to know how much is the ticket before all the fees. I really want to know how much is it going to cost me. Well, and I just can't help but see this causing a big issue again with family travel. They had, you know, not that long ago you know, the big issue of families not being able to get seats together without paying extra for it. And all I can think of is families who don't maybe fly a lot, you know, booking these cheap seats, then getting there and realizing they have, you know, no way to sit together unless they're, you know, beg, borrow or steal from other passengers on the plane. And, you know, they, they just aren't, they don't know what they're getting. And to be honest, a lot of people when they're booking online and they're not used to it, really don't read that fine print. Well, we don't know how fine a print it is, and I'm going to try and see if I can find that out here in the next few minutes. I think I have no problems with this as an offering. My concerns, I think, are the same, Jody and Gary, as yours of, is it going to be something that I know that that's what I got? Um, But I think that, you know, the middle seat and boarding last are worth less money, right? Somebody is going to be in that last boarding row Mm -hmm. anyway, you might as well have it be somebody who chose to be in that last boarding row by getting by paying less money and are more content with it. If the marketing's there, it'll work. Right. If if people get sideswiped by it, then it's going to be a PR disaster, I think. Well, and what they can do and what they should do, what makes sense for the airlines to do, and, and American is not the first one to do this. We should point out when we included this story we included it because we happen to notice it but they are the second third delta's already done it for sure no the last of the big ones so united United and delta have already done it and so what they should do is or what i suspect they're going to do is they're going to sell you that ticket and when you come to their site to book it especially if you're coming from a meta search engine a search engine that searches all the different places at once when they Mm -hmm. get there you're going to say wouldn't you like to upgrade to you know hey i see your four people traveling together you understand you won't get to sit together but but for an additional fee and that's how they usually going to market these things is they're going to try and upsell you to out of this uh which makes sense for them economically and if they do that in a way that informs you that no i don't want you know you're already denying upselling to first class and those things anyway if they if they say it very plainly with you know you're going to be in a middle seat and you can't have anything in the overhead bin but for $50 more, we'll sell you that, then it could work. One of the things I think that we need to stop talking about are discount airlines. Because I think all airlines are, and I'm not joking, they're all discount airlines at this point. Uh, Mm -hmm. Airlines have been doing better financially, and they've done so by basically adopting uh, discount airline tactics. Yeah. They're discount, you know, American, United, and Delta are discount airlines 
with a business class section. That's the, really what differentiates them from Southwest or JetBlue, which, quite frankly, I think at this point, Southwest and JetBlue probably have a higher average standard of service for most of the people flying than the major airlines do. Well, JetBlue is uh, the top-rated U.S. airlines um, have been traditionally JetBlue and Virgin America. And um, I don't remember where Southwest does, but the the big three usually rank below that. And, of course, uh, with Virgin America merging with Alaska, which also has tended to have higher ratings in terms of customer satisfaction, I think that will probably still remain um, a preferred route for people who fly a lot, a preferred uh, carrier, rather. Perhaps we should call them Alt Airlines. <laughs> that might be a more well, accurate. I'm going to. Never mind. I'm holding this comment for later. I need more specifics. Keep going. That's <laughs> I, I, all I had to say on this particular subject. Uh, unless anyone else has any more on. Uh, I tried to go onto the American site and see if I could price one of these fares, and I, I'm not really stumbling across it in a very quick during done during the middle of a show sort of thing. So if anybody's had any experience with that, please, please do let us know. All right then. Uh, Jody, Ireland, yes. what's up with that? Um, like, what's up with it now, or what's? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot up with Ireland right now, but uh... Jody, tell us about your history with Ireland. How you, you got? Go. How you got okay. excited about your website? You've been doing it for several years, uh, based out of Iowa. How many times do you go to Ireland? And just give us a little bit of your backstory. Sure, sure. Well, I actually started uh, writing about family travel back in 2004, uh, before really, you know, family travel was kind of a, its own little hyper niche at that time. Not a lot of people did it. And then that section of the travel industry online just kind of uh, boomed in about 2010, 2011. And as I was watching it, I, I was realizing that if I really wanted to make an impact, I wanted to focus on a specific aspect and Ireland was a place that I travel often that I have a, a passion for and really came to love more and more as I traveled there with my children. So I decided to focus on that and I am still the only online site that has a 100% focus of family travel in Ireland. So it's, it's worked out well and, and uh, I kind of have become an expert in that way. We travel to Ireland at least once a year, if not more often. And when we do go, we're there for about four to five weeks at a time. So we have a lot of chance to visit places that, that most travelers haven't heard of and to really share those uh, experiences that a lot of people say that they are wanting to visit Ireland for, the experiences of the culture and the people and uh, the road less traveled. The first thing I thought of is, can you recommend any family-friendly castles to stay in. Does your, does your website have any articles on that? It does. Actually, we've, uh, we've stayed at Ashford Castle, which is in County Mayo, a few times. And our first time we stayed there was over Halloween. And a few times a year, they, they kind of turn the castle very kid-friendly. And Halloween is one of those times they, they kind of transform it into... Um, a Harry Potter type of scene where the children are are given their school robes when they arrive and their wands and 
they they go off with the the teachers to you know cook with house elves in the kitchen and have a magical tea in the gardens and they have uh, magicians and treasure hunts and and all these fabulous mystical things happening. They have a a couple of movie nights and at the time that the kids are off for six hours a day with staff, the parents get to have their own time, which is really amazing to uh, explore the castle and, and just relax, have some really beautiful five-star dinners and and things like that. So Ashford, Ashford ranks very high on my list. Another one is Dromoland Castle, which is actually only a few minutes from the Shannon Airport in Western Ireland. And that is actually the castle hotel that Disney uses for their adventures by Disney. So just with that, that recommendation, you know that it's going to be very kid-friendly. And they have uh, babysitters on staff that you can hire so mom and dad can have a, a nice dinner alone. They have all kinds of activities at both castles, um, archery, horseback riding, uh, falconry, clay shooting, I think, at both now. And um, obviously, you know, just the, the beautiful castle and afternoon teas and, and elegant and upscale uh, type of, of dining and service. Sign Those me are up. two really good. Yeah, right. I'm in. I'm in. I mean, you're still talking, and and you had me your <laughs> second sentence. I, I we could. Uh, I have a question. Then, yeah. Does Ashford Castle do anything for kids instead of Harry Potter themed? Uh, the Quiet Man theme, where people could dress up like Maureen O'Hara or John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do a quiet Quiet Man theme for the kids, but I will tell you that they just uh, put in a cinema, a new cinema. So it was, it was relatively new when we were there last June. And so they do a quiet man showing in their cinema every day or every other day. And there are there's a wall. So if you go into a lot of theaters, you know, you have the candies that you can scoop out and they weigh them. And, uh, you know, you pay by the pound or whatever. So there's a wall of candy that's free and a popcorn machine and drinks. And it's just all in the cinema, just complimentary which is really nice. It's a good way to get the kids to sit and watch a movie that they probably wouldn't. <laughs> and I'd have to say you left me Googling The Quiet Man because <laughs> I don't know that I've seen this movie. So, um, John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. Yeah. Apparently so. <laughs> I was actually one of John Wayne's uh, better films. And the only reason I know that is because the last time I was in Ireland, I was in County Mayo, and we sailed past Ashford Castle, and we went to what is the name of the island in the lake that it sits on? It's oh, it's in. Uh, well, they want to call it Inish Free, I think, is what in Chagoyle or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's a very, very old church, uh, the ruins of a church, one of the oldest in Ireland that supposedly St. Patrick or one of his followers uh, built, and that's that's where we ended up going, and that was kind of interesting, but. Uh, yeah, well, and, and there are a right. lot of a lot of sites around there that were used. So the Kong Village obviously has the pub in it. They have a recreation of the Quiet Man House, which is actually in Mam Cross and and basically just stone ruin now. But you can still cross the bridges and and things like like Marine O'Hara did. Um, but on on the uh, the estate is Squire Danaher's house. And the last time we were there, the woman who owns it was outside, and we, we struck up a conversation with her. She was actually six years old and lived in that house when the film was made. 
And so they filmed in her, you know, in their sitting room. And so they, she still has, you know, the piano Maureen O'Hara played. She has a lot of, of bits and pieces from filming John Wayne's suitcase from when he traveled over there. He gave it to her father, who was actually um, a, a doorman at the castle. And, uh, you know, when you get so it, it's the really suitcase of a guest, thing. when you're the doorman, you're supposed to take it to their room. You're not supposed to take it home. It was a gift. It's really quite cool. <laughs> It's this, it's this battered leather bag that, that you would never even imagine. But uh, it's, it's a really interesting spot. So, Very Jody, cool. you also have your own podcast. I do. I do. It's called the Traveling in Ireland podcast. And I've had it for just over a year now. It's about traveling in Ireland. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> but what I do, I, I usually try to interview people who um, live and work in Ireland I find that um, my listeners really like to hear that Irish voice. And I, I talk with people who maybe have a small tourism company or B&B or other interesting spot for you to visit that you might not hear about uh, in the tourism brochures. So I do a lot of, of small mom and pop off the tourist track type of areas. Um, tell us about Shannon Heritage, if you remember it. I'm looking at this picture of um, your chat with Marie Brennan, the mm-hmm. events manager for Shannon mm-hmm. Heritage. What it, What is this place? Shannon Heritage actually runs quite a few tourism sites in the Shannon region. So the Shannon region is mainly County Clare in the west of Ireland, but they do have a few sites outside of Clare as well. Uh, Bunratty Castle is probably the most well-known. It's mm-hmm. just... 15 minutes from Shannon Airport, and it's a beautiful uh, restored castle in Folk Park. And the castle you can basically tour from, you know, basement to battlements up top. And then around it is a village of cottages that have been taken from all over Ireland. So you can get a good representation of how the Irish would have lived during certain time periods. So they, they range from, you know, fishermen's cottages from the 16 and 1700s up to uh, the landowners' homes in the the mid to late 19th century, and a, and a village as well that you know you can go into the pub or stop in the shops or wander through the schoolhouse, and it's a it's a truly wonderful place to get a really good flavor of Ireland and Irish history without it feeling overwhelmingly dull. That doesn't well, sound you know, like you're a big history buff there, Jody. <laughs> no, I love history. I love history. But, you know, when you're in school, maybe, and you're being fed dates and places and names to remember, history has a tendency to make itself boring. No, and I think so history I teachers love... have, a, have, a, okay. <laughs> have a possibility of making something boring. I'll default boring, with that. Yeah. I'll default with that. <laughs> but so it's, it's kind of a living history thing that's really, really engaging. So that's probably their largest and most well-known holding, but they also have taken over in the past few years and really um, done a lot to uh, build up King John's Castle in Limerick City. And that now has interactive displays and a lot more to recommend it for places. Limerick was was kind of the center of the world for a while in Ireland, it seemed. There was a lot that happened there and uh, they've besides really brought the, that to life. Besides the poems. Besides the poems, yeah. 
Definitely. And then they run at Napogue Castle, which is actually just only about 15 or 20 minutes from Bunratty. And then at uh, uh, Dungier, I believe, in Galway, which is just at the, the tip of the Burren. Um, and then also at Bunratty, they do midi banquets um, hmm. nightly at Bunratty and then during the high season at the other two. So they have quite a bit to offer. And then there's um, a living history park that goes back to the Stone Age and the Iron Age at Craig and Owen, which is also in County Clare. So they have <laughs> they have a lot. The Burn was one of my favorite spots in Ireland. Just such a, I don't know, uh, I want to say barren, but that doesn't seem right yeah. either. No, it's not, yeah. Just the such Burn a is, yeah, go ahead, visually interesting spot. It is. It is. And the burn is kind of funny because my first trip to Ireland, the burn was just kind of a rocky place that you drove through between the Cliffs of Moher and Galway. Sure. Right. People really didn't stop other than maybe at Poolnabrun Dolmen. Sure. And in the last few years, the burn has really come into itself. It's become a, a European geopark. Hmm. And they've had a big increase in... Uh, really hyper local. They've got an amazing food trail through the Burren now, where you can stop at farms where they make um, goat cheeses, amazing, beautiful goat cheeses. There's uh, pig farms where you know the free range pork. There are there's a woman who does uh, seaweed walks where you walk through along the the coast and you gather seaweed and then you go back, and she shows you how it's prepared and how it would be eaten. And there's a beautiful little pub in the, the village of Kilshanny. It's kind of a, you know, blink and you'll miss it type of village. But Kilshanny House uh, is run by two amazing people, Mary and Aiden. And the food that comes out of Mary's kitchen, she does this all on her own. And the food that comes out of there is so beautiful and fresh. And the way she prepares it so naturally without a lot of sauces and things that you usually find, it, it just, it's amazing the, the food that's coming out of the burn now. So it's definitely a place to put on your, on your travel list. Don't just drive through it. Make well, sure to stop. And the place where you're saying where people used to just stop at, the only place they used to stop at, you kind of glossed over that. That's a, what, 10,000-year-old oh. burial mound? It is. The Pulnobron Dolmen is the most accessible uh, burial dolmen in in the Burren. There are about 70 or 80, if I'm remembering mm -hmm. the count correctly. But because the landscape is so rocky, uh, there really aren't a lot of roads uh, through the inlands. So right. it's a massive, massive burial mound from, I want to say, I want to say the Bronze and Iron Age. Oh, I thought and it was older than that. I I don't think so. I, I could be incorrect. It doesn't date back to the Stone Age, I don't think. Although there are Stone Age burial mounds in Ireland, but I believe they're a bit further north. But it's, uh, it's so, massive. So, Jody, in true blogger fashion, mm -hmm. could you give us a top five list or a top ten list of you're going to Ireland for the first time. What should you see? What are the uh, top attractions okay. in Ireland? Well, most flights to Ireland arrive and depart from Dublin. If there is any way you can arrive in Dublin and depart from Shannon, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, not only for the fact that Shannon is just a much nicer airport to leave from, 
but also because it will keep you from maybe backtracking back to Dublin and you can get a, a little bit more in. Um, Dublin is often high on people's lists and for good reason. It's a beautiful city. It's a great walkable city. And mm -hmm. if you're in Dublin, you should not miss the Museum of Archaeology. The bog bodies in the Kingship and Sacrifice exhibit are truly amazing. It's just incredible to see these bodies that that are so well preserved that have come from the bogs. How did your and then, kids react to that? I have a daughter who wants to be an archaeologist. Ah, she was okay. fascinated. <laughs> My other, my younger daughter wasn't that impressed, but my eldest daughter was, she's like, mom, you can still see his hair and you can see the fingernails and, right, right. you know, it was, it was just bizarre. Um, but that's a place you definitely shouldn't miss. And then of course, uh, everybody wants to visit the Guinness storehouse and, and, and that's actually really nice for kids. It has a lot of interactive activity in it. And the, uh, the dolmen we were talking about in the burn, the Pulnabrona? is uh, Neolithic. It dates Neolithic. back at least to 2900 BC nice. and possibly as old as 4200 BC. Right on. Um, but then heading out of Dublin, Glendalock, which is in County Wicklow, just south of Dublin, is a beautiful valley. It was founded by St. Kevin as a place he actually, he was a hermit monk and ended up with a lot of followers. So he, he founded a monastery there that was a center of high learning. And it's beautiful. It's located, uh, Glendalock means the Valley of the Lakes, and it's absolutely stunning. There are beautiful walking trails through the, Glendal through the Wicklow Mountains. And it's a place to definitely put on your list if you're heading south. Um, the medieval city of Kilkenny is often passed by when people drive between Dublin. They had They head to Cork. And so a lot of people miss Kilkenny, and that's a city that is really worth stopping and exploring. We um, enjoyed Kilkenny, have, yeah. yeah. Even it's just a a, an afternoon in Kilkenny, you don't have to spend a lot of time there to enjoy right. it. Right, and well, and Kilkenny is a great base if you want to visit visit the Rock of Cashel. Mm -hmm. And Kilkenny also has uh, just outside of Kilkenny is oh goodness, Jerpoint Abbey, mm. which is a really great Augustinian Abbey that has some very interesting carvings in it that you don't find in a lot of more austere places. And then just outside of that is uh, Newtown Jerpoint, which is a lost city. Um, people used to pilgrimage to the Abbey and they have actually done uh, surveys of the land and can show you the town walls. There's still a tower. There's still a church standing there, and it's the church where Saint Nicholas is said to be buried. You can see the the burial stone of Saint Nicholas and hear the, the story that of how that came. To very be. unlikely, <laughs> since apparently, he was bishop in Turkey. <laughs> I, know, I know, but apparently, uh, two knights during during the Crusades okay took his body had, and... um, had at least part of it. Um, because the, his burial spot was, was being attacked and, um, hmm. you know, basically demolished during, during the crusades. And so he brought, he, they brought it to safety okay. in, in hmm. Ireland is the way the story goes. Um, a lot of people really think really, you know, have the, the Blarney stone very well known and, uh, and on a lot of people's bucket lists. And Blarney Castle's worth a visit. I don't think people realize that it's a ruin and not a complete castle. 
Um, so that that tends to surprise people. But the grounds are absolutely amazing. The gardens and and the things that they've done there are definitely worth a stop. And you can spend, you know, three to four hours there and and not even realize it. And uh, going from there, so I'm taking you kind of a southern route, which is is what I recommend usually for a first visit. That's where most of the sites that you you think of Ireland for are. And the next one along the way would then, of course, be Killarney, which is where the, the famous Ring of Kerry is found. And it's beautiful. I prefer the Dingle Peninsula. I was going to ask. Okay. <laughs> I prefer Dingle. It's a little less touristed. And especially like we were talking earlier with the Star Wars, the Ring of Kerry is where the Skelligs are. Mm-hmm. And so the increased tourism for that is is really causing, you know, it's just it's just busier. Um, the Dingle Peninsula is just as beautiful. It's also the home of Murphy's ice cream. That's where the main Murphy's ice cream store is. That was and good too. I had the sea <laughs> salt and uh, caramel ice cream, and I highly recommend it. Their caramelized brown bread ice cream is oh, absolutely amazing. <laughs> And um, they but, have, but a, I couldn't get enough of the brown bread in Ireland in general. Oh, <laughs> you so don't have good. to put it in ice cream; just give me the brown bread and some butter. Right, I'm okay. Yeah, and some cider. Yeah, that that and a pint. Exactly. That's that's my meal right there: yeah. brown bread, butter, and a pint of Magners. Um, but Murphy's ice cream is there. The the uh, rum? No, it's the gin. Their gin ice cream they cannot sell to children because the <laughs> content of the alcohol is so high. I don't. It's not even kidding. Um, but down along there, uh, they have the you know fungi, the dingle dolphin, which is always a fun outing in the harbor, and then uh, Slayhead Drive, which has uh, you know hermit monk beehive huts and Stone Age forts, mm-hmm. and you know beautiful beautiful views the blasket islands are off there and then um connor's well, pass which is a high mountain pass and the ring fort there that is falling into the ocean that you need mm-hmm. to see uh, just any you know any time now because it won't be there and i don't know it won't uh, be there much longer much yeah. longer i thought it was just interesting yeah mm-hmm. just to to crawl yeah. through i saw it my first visit in 2002 and then we were back uh three years ago, I think, and the changes in it because of the storms that had, had just battered the coast mm. the the past few years, the, the changes were amazing. And it's it's unfortunate, but, you know, it, it was built on a cliff edge in Ireland. And, you know, you have to figure sooner or later it will happen. Well, it probably wasn't built on quite on the cliff edge like it is now. It but. wasn't quite on the edge <laughs> when it was built, but it still, it was very close to it because mm-hmm. it was, you know, natural protection. So. Sure. Iron Age fort, yeah. Um, then up from Killarney, you would head north. Uh, you would most likely pass through Adair, which is often called the prettiest uh, village in Ireland. It's got a lot of the stone or the stone, the um, thatched cottage pictures you see come from Adair. Hmm. Um, so a really, really pretty place. Not far to the east of that is Loch Gur. So G U R, Loch Gur. And that's where uh, quite a few of the things that you'll see in the Archaeological Museum in Dublin have come from. It's it's probably one of the most mystical places in Ireland I've ever been. The largest stone circle in Ireland is is located there, and it's massive and amazing. And uh, the lock itself, 
has been drained, which is how they found uh, a lot of the bronze objects and gold objects. And they have a beautiful climb there that takes you up to Hangman's Rock that has a lot of, you know, legend attached to it with the local, the local ruling clans. So it's said that they would take people up there to hang them and, and let them look out over what they would be leaving. <laughs> and, uh, and then you're up to County Clare and the Cliffs of Moher and the Burren, and then just north of there is Galway, and then uh, Connemara, which a lot of people, when they say Galway, they mean uh, Connemara, which is the far west and uh, often referred to as the wild west of Ireland. Kylemore Abbey is there, and that's probably one of the most photographed castles in Ireland. It's the one that uh, sits at the base of the mountain on a lake and and is, is one of the, the things that people, when they think of Ireland, oh, that's what yeah. they picture. I know the one you're talking about. That's the gorgeous. We were there at sunset, it's, too, so uh, not a bad oh, time beautiful. to pull into there. Yeah. My it was daughter, actually a convent, even though it's called an abbey. I didn't yep. know that. It was, it, yep. was built, it was built as a private home, and there's you know a big love story that goes with that. The wife ended up dying in Egypt on a trip, then the daughter died, and the, the husband just left it. Um, the nuns of Ypres... I believe bought it in world war one and it was a convent. It was uh, a private girls school for quite a while. And now they are, they've partnered with uh, Notre Dame university and actually are doing study programs there. My daughter stayed there for a week last year at a mathematics camp. Very cool. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was 10 or not, but that's usually, that, that pretty much hits I, the highlights of people, you know, for, for a first trip. You of course, almost, there are, you know, hundreds of other places. You almost completely described my first trip to Ireland. And, and that's, it's because those are the things that people hear about and know about and really have on their bucket list. Right. When, when I work with, with families who are planning their first trip, I always ask them, what do you have to see? And, and usually it's, you know, a handful of the things I mentioned, and then we'll fit in other, other things that fit their, fit their interests. But, but that's a pretty typical and great first trip to Ireland that can be done in 10 to 14 days. Very cool. And I, you mentioned Shannon several times. I'd just like to say Shannon, it's on the Western side of Ireland. So the flight from Boston to Shannon is like the second shortest flight you can take from North America to Europe. So if you really hate flying, that's it's under six hours. I think it's a, it like is. 550 what? from Boston to Shannon. What's the so, shortest? Are you counting Ireland, uh, Iceland in that? Or? Uh, St. John's to London to oh, Heathrow. Okay. All right. Makes sense. That's like uh, five hours. Yeah. Just because the distance from Boston to St. John's is larger than from... Shannon to London. Sure. Okay. Uh, all right, then. Anything else on Ireland before we move on to our picks of the week? It's a great place to go. The euro is uh, very favorable right now to the U.S. dollar, and um, it's already getting busy. So if 2017 is the year you want to go, you should start making your plans now. And if uh, people have flexibility in their schedules, I know you focus on family vacations, and those are often tied to school schedules and vacations. Um, but say you have some flexibility or you're willing to pull your kids out of mm-hmm. school. Um, when is an affordable, the most affordable season to go? You know, for the best, the best weather, 
the end of August or early September would be my choice if you can okay. do it. Um, uh, they they kind of have this joke that the weather gets really nice when the kids go back to school. <laughs> um, and I can't argue it. We had some amazing weather during that that space of time. But it's like anything else. I mean, the prices are always going to be higher when the demand is higher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, summer is when the demand is higher. If you can swing it and go in September or October, I would really recommend it. It's it's still quite nice. People don't realize um, Ireland is on the Gulf Stream. And right. so even though it's quite far north, the temperatures are really temperate. Um, it doesn't get terribly, terribly warm, but it doesn't get terribly, terribly cold. So it's it's a great place to go. They get, you know, they have rain of some sort usually every day. But it's not the, you know, it's not the pound, not usually the pounding, awful rains that you might be used to. Sometimes it's just a really soft mist and it doesn't, you know, it won't hinder you at all. Um, And if you can go over Halloween, it's awesome because Ireland kind of, they, they fashion themselves at the, as the birthplace of Halloween with the Celts. And, uh, there's a lot going on at Halloween if you can sling that. So I've only been to Ireland once, but when I went, I had the privilege and uh, luck to stay with um, Corey and Liam of the fire of the Mm -hmm. Irish fireside at their Nakahopple place. And one of the things they told me when we were going to restaurants was that I had to talk really quietly because um, (laughs) the locals were eavesdropping. Is this (laughs) is this still true or is this just because I'm louder than most Americans? I think it depends on where you are, um, because at Nakahopple. Um, it's in the beautiful Golden Vale of Tipperary, but it's not a place that you get a lot of tourists. People kind of drive through there. So if you were eating, you know, maybe at one of the, the more local places, you're, yeah, you're going to draw attention. Um, but the, the great thing about Ireland is people are just so open and friendly. You know, the, the Cade Mille Falcha that is so well known, the 100,000 welcomes is completely true. So even if you're being your usual usual gregarious self, you're not going to offend anyone, and they'll just want to know more about you. So be ready to talk. Okay. <laughs> and Jen, your microphone is brushing against your clothes. I tried to chat with you, but oh, I'm sorry. We're picking up a lot of noise with my pajamas. Yep. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, want to move on to picks of the week? I'll actually uh, go first. I don't know if we've talked about this, but I don't think we have. Uh, but there's a new travel credit card. Well, it's not that new. It's been out a couple months now. That is really kind of one of the best uh, travel credit cards available. It's the Chase Sapphire Reserve. And what's great about this card, it has a great bonus if you sign up. Uh, and it's kind of the upgrade to the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. Mm-hmm. Chase Sapphire Preferred gives you two miles for every dollar spent on things such as travel, gas. This gives you three. Uh, it's a $450 fee, which sounds expensive, but you get a $300 credit on travel, which hmm. means if you get the card and you buy a $300 plane ticket, the, the, it's free. Well, I mean, you've paid for the fee for the card, of course. So really, it's only $150. And you get tons of insurance, trip cancellation, flight delays, baggage delays, roadside assistance, uh, 
uh, primary auto insurance. When you rent a car, you get uh, some access to lounges, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. You get a $100 fee if you do global entry or TSA pre-check. You sign up for that. So there's a whole bunch of benefits. And, you know, pretty much everyone I've talked to agrees that this is really the best uh, card available, if only because you get three points for every dollar spent instead of just one or, or two or one, which is what you might get on a lot of other uh, travel credit cards. Uh, I've not gotten it yet, but I'll be applying for it soon. I have the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. But uh, yeah, if you really want to rack up points for travel, uh, this is probably one of the best ways to do it. So the Chase Sapphire hmm. Reserve. Interesting. I, You know, I do know that the Chase Sapphire Preferred is one of only like three credit cards that covers car rental in Ireland. Most do not. Oh, I so. didn't know that it did. Yeah, we ran into that problem with uh, Visa, for instance, and some of the things that, that cover the additional insurance, mm-hmm. you know, have these bizarre countries that they don't allow, and then Ireland. <laughs> yeah. like, we won't cover your insurance in Kazakhstan and Ireland. And so. it's because of the narrow roads and the oh, stone yeah. walls. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, well, I should add, the, uh, the the rental coverage is primary coverage, oops. not secondary. So that a lot is of credit really cards... important to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, It is. And a lot of credit cards that say they do that, it's really secondary insurance, meaning they'll cover anything that the primary insurance that you would normally get, you know, either mm-hmm. through your normal car insurance or what you sign up for at the counter. Uh, if they don't cover it, then they will. This is primary, so you can pretty much just not have to get, you know, pay for the insurance every time you rent a car. Well, and I got right. burned by that. My daughter's wedding in Maryland, I rented a car and then managed to back it into a tree, <laughs> which, you know, I, I want to say the trees was at fault, but no one was taking I'm sure my it story. sure jumped in the way. Yeah, but <laughs> what happened was I'm trying to deal with the credit card company, and they're saying, well, what's your, what's your claim for your your credit, your your insurance, and I'm not understanding because I'm thinking, well, you guys told me you were going to cover this, and it actually took us a while to work through. Oh no, we don't cover everything. We only cover what's not covered by your insurance, which is a very, very different thing. Yeah, very important to know. Definitely, definitely, it's that small print that uh, people don't see. I know that I've been places where people think they have coverage on their car, and then you know they're told that they need to purchase additional coverage. And they're like, no, my credit card covers it. And they're like, it really doesn't. And then also you need to, if you do have credit card coverage, you should always have a printed statement from the credit card company saying, yes, we are covering this car rental. Um, so you can show it because without that letter, a lot of the time they won't, you know, you, you will have to purchase that extra coverage because you don't have printed proof. Right. All right, uh, Chris, you got something for us. I do. I'm going to do a little bit of a Irish tip. Is you talked about Jody going to the Rock of Cashel being one of the places, which I completely agree with. Absolutely, some place you should see. The other thing is, while you're there, when you look down in the valley, there's these ruins. And I would mm-hmm. suggest you hike down there, especially if you have kids. I think this would be a, a, an amazing place for kids. This is a, a ruined Cistercian Abbey called uh, Hor Abbey, H-O-R-E. Yes. And you absolutely leave a little extra time when you're at the Rocco Cashel to get down there and hike among these ruins. It's not a long hike to get down there and get back. You're crossing a mm-hmm. few 
pastures, but you should do that while you're there at the Rock of Cashel. Right. Um, the one thing you want to be uh, aware of is that a lot of these ruins that you find in Ireland, you are more than welcome to go on to. The ruins themselves are usually managed by the Office of Public Works or OPW, but they are usually on private land. So if you right. are crossing private land, you need to be respectful for the animals that are there and also know that if you do get hurt, it's kind of on you. Sure. So if you if you see a bull in that pasture, <laughs> maybe have a second thought before you go in. Well, Another really and, good tip. And this particular um, one, you didn't have to hike through a pasture with a bull in them is one of, <laughs> one of the things I would say. Well, I know when we visited, I did. There oh, did you really? Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes there We didn't sheep, have to go through any gates. gates even to oh, get okay. to that one. Oh, maybe it's been a couple years, a few years since I've been hmm. um, to the Abbey. So, but I mean, that's just a, a good general tip sure. for, um, for ruins in Ireland. Another one um, following along that is the Office of Public Works has what's called an OPW heritage card. And they have individual um, purchase, and then you can purchase like a family ticket if you, you know, if you have a larger group. And that will get you into every OPW heritage fee-paying site in Ireland for one fee. Hmm. So if you plan to visit quite a few, it's a great savings. That'll get you into the Rock of Cashel and Care Castle, um, Muckras House in Killarney. Uh, let's see. The... Let's see. There, there are hundreds. It's Ross Castle in Killarney, the Blasket Center in Dingle. Um, I, it's it, Dublin Castle. We don't have to try and list all hundreds. I mean, there's, yeah, there's <laughs> there's so many. If, if you plan to visit a lot of historic sites, it's a really really great deal. Chris, my brain just froze up for five seconds after you said Hor Abbey. <laughs> from joke overload I and know, all I can think of is I know, I did how not close name is it. this to Dingle <laughs> nice. uh, Jen you got any picks for us this week I do I'm going to stick with the Irish theme and uh, Jody you'll have to correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong mm -hmm. but um, I found Aaron Sweaters Direct mm -hmm. on the Irish fireside and I'm drooling these are Irish uh, sweaters for men, women, and guess what? Kids. Go to the kids page and look at so these cute. absolutely adorable Irish sweaters. They've got a baby hooded sweater on sale for $49.99, a boy's half zip sweater, um, kids crew neck Aaron sweaters. I mean, they're just beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. So there you go. Aaron sweaters direct.com for beautiful homeware products and clothing for men, women, and children. Excellent. Yeah. The Aaron sweater is a really great souvenir to pick up. And that's and, uh, Aaron, A-R-A-N. Thank you. So Aaron Islands. Yep. So they're, they're a traditional fisherman sweater. There's a lot of legend that goes back to, you know, this design goes with this family and, and that, the Aaron sweater designs were created so that if a fisherman was washed overboard and his body happened to land on, you know, land, that they would be able to identify him. Now, whether or not that's true, it is debatable. But also, um, it, 
they're not just in the off white. This um, seller also has several different colors of these um, Irish wool sweaters. So yes. if you're opposed to the off white color, check them out. There's way more colors to choose from. It's a great, it's a Joey, great spot. Yes. You have a pick for us this week. I do. Um, one of the things that I run into when I'm working with families who travel in Ireland is that they're really, really afraid of driving. Um, in <laughs> Ireland, in Ireland, you drive on the wrong side of the road and you're, you know, you're sitting in the wrong side of the car. Uh, many cars are manual transmission or stick shift. Mm -hmm. And you're unless you with specifically your, request unless a specifically request. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you're shifting with your left. You're driving on the wrong side of the road. You're sitting on the wrong side of the car. And and the roads can be narrow if you're not on the motorway. They uh, are usually lined with stone walls or hedgerows or <laughs> yeah. both. And it tends to make people a little nervous. And for good reason. And especially Dublin. Never, ever, ever drive in Dublin. Ever. Um, but so when, when people really have a hesitancy for that, but they don't want to take... Um, you know, a bus tour with 60 other people, I always steer them to Ireland Chauffeur Travel. So it's irelandchauffeurtravel.com. It's based in the town of Cashel in Tipperary, actually just, uh, just right there on the main street. And Shane and his group do an incredible job at customizing tours for people. Um, no matter the group size, they have sedan uh, sedans for small groups. They have mini buses. They have minivans. They have a bit larger buses if you have a group of up to 16 or 20. Um, and their driver guides are Falcha Ireland approved, highly, highly knowledgeable in the areas they take you. And just, I mean, a pleasure to work with to plan and to help you with your Ireland vacation. So if you don't want to drive, but you really want a personalized trip of Ireland. Um, I recommend Ireland show for travel. And when Jody says they're Fulcher Ireland approved, that is one half of the Ireland Ireland Tourism Board. Yes. So, yes. I feel bad being the only non-Irish pick, so I'm going to add another one. Uh, this week at participating <laughs> Ralph stores, Key Sapphire Reserve card. You can get 25 cents off a three pack of Irish Spring soap. <laughs> so look for that deal. That's my Irish tip. All right, then let's start to wrap things up. Chris, what is new in the Amateur Traveler this week? We just did a episode on, I want to say Scotland. No, we just did an episode on Tokyo, Tokyo, Japan. Scotland was the week before. Scotland, Tokyo. <laughs> so, yeah. Jen, where can people find you online? You can find me at the LA Times travel site uh, with my weekly web buzz column reviewing travel websites and travel apps. And also on Twitter at, at Jen Leo. Excellent. Uh, Jody, where can people find you online? IrelandFamilyVacations.com. And uh, Ireland Family Vacations pretty much on any social site. And then uh, handling, handling some podcasting at the Ireland, the Traveling in Ireland podcast. And let's not forget to give a shout out to, to our dear friend Corey and Liam at the IrishFireside.com. Um, I don't know why he didn't come. You know. <laughs> they, they are at a, they're at an art show right now and uh, selling um, Liam's jewelry 
And uh, but in terms of the website, Irish Fireside, I just want to note that uh, they have a really in-depth section on questions and answers. Mm -hmm. And so for all your Ireland questions and answers new uh, needs, if you can't find it on Jody's website, um, please also consult Irish Fireside. Uh, I, I'm looking at over. Gosh, it's over 150 at least just in the ones that I'm currently looking at questions and answers before your before your trip to Ireland. Right. And Corey has a podcast as well. Uh, the Irish Fireside podcast. In fact, he and I just did a podcast together about Irish airports, which is Yay. definitely worth a listen. All right. And as usual, you can find me at everything-everywhere.com. And I'm going to give a special mention to the Facebook group I started. It's called the Everything Everywhere Travel Community. We have 3,500 people in it now. And it's one of the best resources, actually. If you have a question about a place, uh, you know, if, if I haven't been there, then certainly one of the 3,500 people probably have. Uh, there's a lot of very good discussions and a lot of rich information from people that are very, very well-traveled. So go to Facebook and just do a search for the Everything Everywhere Travel Community, uh, request to get invited, and uh, we'll approve that usually within a few hours. So until next time, get outside and make sure to check out the lovely island of Ireland. <laughs>